Hi, everybody. I'm Patrick McEnroe, and this is Holding Court. All right, very excited about this edition of Holding Court, everyone. I got the number one ranked American male tennis player, Mr. Riley Opelka, joining me uh, from the desert in California where he's getting set to play in the BNP Paribas Open. Riley, I appreciate you joining me. Uh, I'm coming to you from cold and actually snowed here in New York yesterday. So tell me, let me get me jealous about the weather out there in the desert right now. Oh, man, it's brutal. Yeah, it's, it's- probably 65 degrees right now sunny as always and um yeah it's, it's tennis paradise for a reason it's, it's really beautiful and yeah you, i mean you can't beat the scenery here the mountains the, the weather it's, it's tough to find a another place like it so uh how does that sound the number one ranked american yeah you know i don't i don't really get caught up in that i really don't um you know i think it'd be I guess it'd mean more if it was like the number one, you know, ranked uh, Russian or Serbian or, but you know, I, I don't, I don't get caught up in it. Um, things change every week and, and I don't, you know, kind of seeing how people have handled that in the past. It, I don't know, uh, maybe back in the day when, when Agassi and Sampras and, you know, Johnny Mack, those guys were playing, it was a, it was probably a huge honor because they were, fighting it forward amongst each other, but, uh, you know, I, I think it's a little different. I don't, I don't get so caught up in it. You know, you've been pretty outspoken about, you know, some in the press and others uh, giving you and, and other Americans a hard time. You know, where's the next great American player? Um, obviously, I was part of that uh, conversation uh, often when I was running player development at the USTA. And of course I was a Davis cup captain for 10 years, but you're part of, you know, a group of really good young players coming up. And I think you guys, you correct me if I'm wrong, have pushed each other yourself. Uh, Tommy Paul, obviously Francis Tiafo, Taylor Fritz. I mean, you're all right around the same age. So do you think that this process of you guys coming up with the juniors and obviously on the pros has, has helped each of you individually and collectively? Totally. Totally. You know, I think um, from the professional standpoint, post-junior days, the best we, thing we've done for each other is just having a friend on the road, especially when we're starting off. You don't, you know, I don't know, you don't know the older guys. I didn't, you know, I didn't kind of go grab dinner with with uh, Isner and CBJ and Query at that time when I was 18. So um, the fact that I had Francis, Tommy, and Taylor to go hang out with every week and grab dinner was huge. And I realized, you know, it's all I know. I'm fortunate to be a part of that. But, you know, you talk to, you know, guys like Jack Sock or, you know, Donald Young from the, the earlier generation, they didn't really have, you know, too many other guys to hang out with. Jack, let's say, would be playing a, you know, the hardcore tournament in the States and maybe Don wanted to go play and play or vice versa, they'd be alone. So having them just around just to hang out with while we're, you know, in a foreign foreign country or in another part of the world, um, you know, just gives us a sense of being at home, which is quite nice. And um, I think most of the, the, most, the key, uh, one of the most important roles in our development of having each other was like you said, in the junior age, from, from age 12 to 18, those are the guys we train with every day and push each other every day. 
It's pretty amazing, actually, because I've gone back a couple of times and looked at the draws, like at Kalamazoo, you know, the big junior tournament for the boys. And, you know, to see like five, six of you guys that are now like legit um, top hundred and and for many of you higher pros, I mean, that just doesn't happen. I mean, that used to happen maybe in the old days before there were so many players coming from the rest of the world and, and, and where the Europeans started to come out of the woodworks and all the different European countries, but pretty amazing, you know, how much depth there was in your guys' age group. Totally. Yeah. It's unheard of. Um, I think, you know, I, I listen to your podcast with, with Jose and, and I thought it was spot on on so many things. And um, like you said, uh, like you were hearing about it in the in the press as you were head of U.S. tennis back in the day, your program was spot on. It was it was a long term program. And, and um, you know, I always I told you this myself. I don't think you've gotten near the credit you deserve for it because it was you invested in the juniors. You invested in the 12, 13, 14 year olds at the time, which was me, Tommy, Francis, Taylor, Michael Moe, um, you know, it was a, a lot of us, and, and that's where you and made your investment, and unfortunately, uh, you know, you, you caught some fire for it based on the current men's U.S. Open results at that year, when everything that you were investing in was the, the long-term play, and, and it really it really showed that it, it's really worked well, uh, and it is a, a long-term investment. And uh, I think I think you and Jose touched up on it a bit, and I, I really like the part where you guys are talking about you can't you can't develop a Grand Slam champion, you can't train a a Grand Slam champion. That's that's within the player. I mean, you guys have a big say in getting us into the top fifty or the top hundred, and then from that point on, it's on us. And I totally agree with that. I, I think that have been more spot on well speaking of being on us because uh you know i'm good friends with your your longtime coach jay berger who i work with at the usta for many many years and he's just one of the class acts in tennis and uh, so he keeps me updated over uh you know the course of the last few years i always text him when i'm watching you play at a turn at a big tournament if you're doing well or not doing well i'll be like jay what's go what's going on with our big guy here what's happening <laughs> but he always you know he, he he's always kind of a calming he was a calming influence for me back in the day when i was uh, running player development and i feel like he's got that vibe with you too because you know a lot of times i'll be like come on what's going on with riley man he's losing it and jay's like listen you know he's coming along he's working hard uh you know he's he it's it's take it's a process and you know lo and behold it looks to me like he was 100 percent right because he, he he told me recently that you're even out there hitting serves after you're done with your full intense day of training, eight o'clock, eight thirty at night. The bot needs to get the practice in, and he's out on his own hitting serves. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like you said, Jay's one of the best in the business. He's an unbelievable player. You know, he's top ten in the world, and he's an even better coach. He really is, and I think his vision and his philosophy and his mindset translates so much in the, in the life as well. And, and even other sports, look at his son, look at Daniel. Obviously Daniel has his own coach and caddy and his own setup, but uh, his mindset is what, is what makes Daniel Berger one of the best golfers in the world. And, and obviously he got that from Jay and, you know, you just look at Jay's, I'm a huge fan of him. You look at his entire family, his, all of his sons are great kids. His daughter's a doctor. Um, there's something to 
he's done a lot of things right, you know, and he, I think he's got a, a good outlook on life and, and a good mindset to to be successful because, I don't know, you just look at everyone near him, everyone around him, and his, his family especially, they're all, they're all really thriving in, in what they do, and I don't think that's a coincidence. Yeah, so t- so tell me a little bit about you and how you've kind of because because I've seen you on the court at times when you're like you're just not into it. You're like, why am I out here? I should have been a basketball player. You know, you you the attitude like I'm be be quite frank wasn't great. And now I see yeah. a guy who's you know I you know I was watching you. I think it was in, when you were playing in Delray. You got to the final there. You've got a great start to this season. And, you know, your focus um, is just totally different. I mean, your movements improved a lot, but I'm, I'm more, and I know you've been working hard on that, but I'm talking about the mindset of how you've been able to be, you know, cause you kind of had that, like, what the F am I doing out here? Like, why am I doing this? And so for me yeah. watching as a commentator, I was like, man, God, this guy's got to work on the attitude. And now I see, you know, sort of this maturity out there. So what's that been like for you, that process? Yeah, I think I've, I've spent a lot of time working on, on my mindset, uh, especially Jim Ware, having Jim Ware in my corner is like the greatest thing ever. It's such a blessing. And, uh, By the way, just speaking uh, of Jim Lair, I did a, my, a podcast with him very recently, and he's just phenomenal. So I'm glad to hear that. I didn't even know you'd connected with him. That's awesome. Yeah, I've been working with him since I was uh, about 19 or, yeah, 19 years. I mean, I've known him. He's helped me out from even a younger age, but we've been working on a regular, very regular basis since, since age 19 now. And I look at him, I mean, it's just a, a really good friend. And as you know, anyone that spends time with him realizes how sharp he is and how brilliant, how brilliant he is. And him and Jay's philosophies and mindsets line up so, so well with each other. And, you know, I think part of it was, uh, with my mindset was going through it, just experiencing certain things. It took me a little longer than, than others. And I think now I'm, I'm much calmer because actually my tennis has just gotten better. The times when I'm lost and annoyed is when I have no clarity or identity for what I'm trying to do when I'm on the court. And, and that's what would frustrate me. And now that, that doesn't happen as much. Even when I lose, it's fine. Cause I, you know, I have more clarity out there, and so it's just more fun. And I think a lot of that was just understanding my game, playing more matches, understanding what I, you know, what I do to guys, what my my game, what kind of pressure that builds on guys, and vice versa, and just growing overall as a as a person. And I think that that's what's really gotten my my mindset on the court to be better, and I'm having more fun out there because I. Have a better understanding for, for why I'm out there and what I'm doing out there. Do you think physically you're you're in in the best shape you've been in? For sure, for sure. And, and I mean, even that that ties into it as well. I'm able to. I'm moving so much better. I'm fitter. I'm able to last out there, no problem. I'm getting the balls. I'm able to play more points. There's more action in my matches, so that just makes it more fun. And that's why, you know, even when I lose, now, I don't really get angry or question why I'm out there, or what I'm doing, because it's just it's just more fun. You know, I, I remember watching you. Obviously, you were in Boca at the USDA Training Center, which was uh, where we sort of started this program. And I would go down there periodically. And I remember just seeing you over the years, you know, this tall, the big, skinny kid. And it was, it was, it was a longer process for you because of your physique, because of your body type, you know, and, and being able to handle 
the wear and tear. So how has the process been for you sort of learning how best to take care of your body so that you can perform at that level consistently? Yeah, I've invested a lot of time and money into it. I mean, that's what it is to have a physio and, and have someone working on me every day. The key is, well, for me, not, you know, it doesn't, everybody, everyone's body's different. Everyone has to understand their own body and you have to go through this long trial and error process and test each thing out before you move on to the next and figure out what works for you. And everyone's so different in that way. But I think I'm really kind of on the, what is going to be the key for the rest of my career, but it's been spending time in the gym and that's not, that doesn't, that's not stretching and doing corrective exercises and bands. I'm still doing, but it's just moving weight. It's, I'm just, I'm lifting a lot of weight. I'm getting a lot stronger. I uh, started working with Eric Cressy about a year ago, uh, maybe a year and a half now. And I've gotten much, much stronger. And in return, I've, gotten quicker on the court my body's held up a lot better i feel better um it's just i think it's a healthy way to go about life uh, is is lifting lifting weight moving weight pushing your body in a safe way and i've noticed so many things have just come along with it i've been sleeping better um because i've invested all this time into my body you know i've been wanting to, to eat cleaner and and do things the right way and get more um get more sleep and more recovery time throughout the day. And before that, when you don't make that investment, you're not spending the time and the money on it. And it's easy to let the other categories slip, slip away from you. And because I've just dedicated so much time into it, I'm like, man, I don't want to, you know, just throw away what I've been in the gym and, and, you know, eat, eat, not eat, eat junk and eat junk food and, and have this candy bar and, and, you know, go meet up with my friends tonight and not get as much sleep as I should. You know, you, when you start doing things with more purpose, you, I don't know, everything just kind of falls into place. And that's very what's happened uh, with me. Yeah. And you, and you talk about making the investment. It's not only making the investment of time, but also the investment of the, of the money, right? Because us, us as totally. tennis players, we got to do it ourselves, essentially. Um, and you've been outspoken about some of the ATP issues with prize money. Uh, obviously, the pandemic playing a part in that. But when you look at now, uh, sort of, you know, as we appear to be, at least hopefully, sort of coming out of this and the pandemic, what, what's your overall feeling about the state of the ATP? Just financially, because I want to ask you about a couple other important issues as well, because I love the fact that you're not afraid to be uh, to talk about it and be outspoken about it. So tell me what you think, first of all, about the, the prize money situation with the tour. Yeah, it's, you know, the prize money situation with the tour is, is a really tough topic, and I get it. I mean, I get why it, I look like a jackass sometimes talking about it. No one wants to hear, you know, a, a guy making much more money than the average, you know, that salary, complaining about money. I totally understand that. And it's tough on the players because it's a tough position. You don't, you, know, you, you don't want to be the guy that's complaining about money while you're making a lot of money. But, you know, I, I have no problem taking that one on the chin. I really don't. And because and I, I know the extent that, that the, t- the top 50, the top 100 guys, even beyond that, I know the extent of work they put in. It's, it's, a, it's a 24-hour job. There's, I leave my house at 7 a.m., and I don't get back sometimes till 8 p.m. And then even then, I'm, I'm working with my physio after that, and I'm in bed at 10 p.m. That's a, really a full day. And, and the extent we push our bodies in the short time period we have to make our money, these 10, 12 years are important. And, and I'm 
quite concerned about it. I, I don't want to be, I'm not trying to be a, you know, this advocate or this politician, let's say, in tennis. I, I'm not a, I don't want to be that at all. But it's troubling. I'm concerned that that the sport is, is going in the wrong direction. I think there's so much, you know, I've mentioned the conflict of interest, the lack of transparency, this 30-year deal that's about to be pushed through, which is very concerning in itself. Just one, the fact that we don't know exactly what it is, and two, the fact that it's 30 years. Uh, that's a, you don't see too many deals nowadays that long. We know that you can't predict how much the world's going to change from a social standpoint, even after five years. So, let alone 30. Um, I have a lot of concerns, and, and I don't really know where it's going. I don't know where the tour's going to end up, and that's what's troubling for me. Would you like to see the players just have their own union, just period? Totally. We're the only ones that, we're the only sport that doesn't. I don't get why the, I don't, I, I, I mean, the PTPA gets criticized, and, you know, there's other players that go against it, which I don't understand, quite frankly. It's, it doesn't make sense. Why wouldn't we want our own um, leadership or, we're the only sport that, that doesn't have it. I mean, you look at every single major sports organization, they all have their own players. They all have their own representation. And it just, it makes sense. Yeah, it's a little it's a little tricky that um, especially because Novak Djokovic is the guy who's been the leader, and uh, you know I admire what he's what he's done with that. Particularly, he's been chasing these majors for the last couple of years, and he's sort of been in the thick of it. And now, of course, with the whole vac- vaccination issue, you know the pro- that's a, in a, in some ways it's a little bit of the problem is that he's sort of the the the, the focal point of it, and he's just taken so much heat, some of it deserved um, for his stances on various things. The vaccination is a whole nother issue. Um, so do you think that that's sort of hurting the PTPA's uh, push in this sense that, you know, Novak is a guy, despite the fact that I believe that he's got the right intentions, but uh, publicly, um, you know, it's a, it's a dicey situation to, at best. It's totally dicey. And yeah, I mean, yeah, he, he does have the right intentions. There's no doubt about it. He's, let's say, more than okay from a financial standpoint. You know, his, his grandkids, his great-grandkids are going to be just fine when it comes to finances. And, and I think that's what um, what shows a lot about his character, the fact that he's still willing to, to fight for the other players. I mean, it's completely out of his best interest to do this. And it has, you know, as we've seen, it, 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 it's completely out of his best interest to do this. It would be easy for him to, you know, have a, have a complete have the complete opposite perspective of it and protect his own brand and protect his name like we've seen some of the other guys do and and I think it just shows kind of he really is a man of principle and and that you have to admire I always respect someone that's not a hypocrite and one thing you can never call Novak is, is a hypocrite you know I mean he he says what he believes in and he, he doesn't there's no he's not a two faced guy I really enjoyed spending time with him when I have and chat with him in the locker room that I have and you know I have nothing but utmost respect for him for a lot of reasons were you surprised he was in the draw in Indian Wells yeah but you automatically get entered it's an automatic you know it's an automatic entry that's how it works these are mandatory events these masters are mandatory and that's another thing we can even talk about with masters being masters have a total the masters events have a total monopoly on the ATP 
they are mandatory. You get penalized as a player, as a top player, for not playing in them. And it's going to be interesting to see what they do with Shanghai. I mean, you're going to penalize guys for not wanting to go to China? <laughs> yeah, well, I've been, I've been coming down on the ATP for a while now for still having Shanghai and other events on the calendar. That's a whole other yeah, topic. I mean, how do you yeah, feel about that? I mean, I don't even know where to start with that one. It's, it's, it's funny, you know, you have some of the top players at the game, some of the biggest names in the game tweeting in the pandemic that they want to merge with the WTA and they're all for this pro merge out of nowhere. And then, and then the next day we're playing in China, you know, I, if that doesn't show, if that doesn't show, that, that says a lot right there, you know, that, that says a lot about the ATP, I think, in its current state right there. And it's, I get it, it's, it's in everyone's best interest to look out for themselves and do what's best for them. And tennis players seem to do that more than anyone else because it is an individual sport, it's a lonely sport, and you kind of have to have that chip on your shoulder. You kind of have to be selfish to be great in, in this business. You really do, and but you, yeah, it's just it's transferred into other other parts, which which I don't like. You know? Yeah, transferred into like the organizational part, and uh, you know the WTA exactly. putting themselves out there and saying, you know, we're not going to China, and then lo and behold, a couple months later, because they took a stand, a moral stand, uh, they signed this huge new deal. You know, for their tour, which their yeah. their their tour has had way has way more at stake in China than the men's tour does. And meanwhile, yep. I mean, and and then and then we can't get him to make a, dis, a decision on Zverev for his uh, actions yep. in Acapulco, which I thought was a complete joke. What they, you know, totally. they, do you agree with that too? That I mean, they, they gave him, they didn't even suspend him. Yeah, but that, that that leads me to the question: is what what would someone have to do to get suspended? Is the is the better question? It's you know how how much can you push the envelope on that? It's it's interesting. I don't know what what more you can do. I mean, would you have to like physically, you know, would you have to had to have physically attack or or actually actually hit the umpire with his racket, which he almost did. Yeah, or or even glass pool. Yes, the handshake was close. Um, the thing that's crazy, I mean, it's comical about that is the doubles match. I mean, I can't imagine a five, not even a slam doubles match. I couldn't imagine myself ever exploding like that in a in really any match where I'm hitting my racket against a chair. I just couldn't imagine that. But especially in a doubles match, and especially as a top singles player, I mean, it must have been something going on. I think off the court, I'm not playing in a few forms by any means. I'm just saying, there's, right? I'm just trying to understand. I'm trying to wrap my head around it, but it doesn't make sense as to why that outburst would come in a doubles match. A match that means absolutely nothing to anyone, especially to the bear of it. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. I don't, I can't wrap my head around there's it. Some, and, uh, so, yeah, it appears I mean, there's some serious anger uh, issues going on there. That's what it, it appears. You know, watching totally, from the outside. Totally. Yeah, it appears there's something deeper going on there. Something, something that, that is goes beyond uh, a line call in a tennis match that's for sure and you know I don't it's not a personal dig it, it's there if I would have said it was anyone if it was my best if it was Tommy Paul that acted that way right. I would say the same thing if it was Tommy or Fritz or Francis that did that I would you know, I would say the same thing You got that's, that's a suspension that's a that's time out from the sport that, that's how you uh, 
that's how you handle that situation. Yeah, that's when you, that's when you, that's when you say to one of your kids, you know, it's time you need a timeout. You need to take a little break here. So uh, let me before I let you go, because you've already given me a ton of time, and I appreciate it as you're getting ready for a big tournament out there. Uh, I just got to ask you a couple of more, you know, lighter questions, which are, uh, about, you know, now that you've been out there a few years and, you know, we in the media, we like to just say who's the greatest of all time. And I remember, I remember talking to Marty Fish about this, you know, he, cause he played against the, you know, the big three in their prime. They're still in their prime, a couple of them, obviously, but it, it, he used yeah. to, t- he said to me, he thought Djokovic was the hardest guy for him ever to play. So you've had the chance yeah. to play now, you know, for a few years on tour and just kind of give, you know, cause I know the fans would love to hear from you, a top guy about sort of your, you know, break down each of the guys and, and, and what is, who's the tougher, toughest one you've ever played for what reason? I've only played Rafa of the three. Um, but you know, I played him in Rome, which is as tough of a task as you can possibly find. Uh, from the outside, watching tennis and everything, uh, you know, I think, I think Roger's done the most for tennis in terms of his name, his aura, everything. I mean, he just, sport looks so beautiful when he does it. He's got this, uh, it's just, it's just different when he plays. Everyone that comes out to watch, that comes to watch him, you know, it's, you know, he's one of the most recognizable figures in the world. And everything about him is so perfect. And he's funny. He's so nice. He's so lovable. He's, great off the court with everyone behind the camera as well and he's just elegant and everything about him is perfect and it's crazy and I, and I think he's, I think he's done the most for tennis and you know Rafa's Rafa is like the, the opposite they're the perfect rivalry Rafa Rafa at his high on clay is the highest level that's ever been played mm, yep. um, for sure on clay when he's at his best there's, there's never been a level of tennis that's been near that level, not even close. But if you look at every surface, hard, clay, grass, everything, every turret, week in, week out, the toughest task in tennis on any court, at any time, at any tournament, is to beat Novak Djokovic. So, that's my take on it. He's the, the toughest guy to beat overall on every, on every service, in every event. You know, you play him on a fast court, you're you're in trouble. You play him on a grass court, you're in trouble. You play him on a slow clay court, it's tough. You know what I mean? Right. Any sort of condition, he's not, he's probably not going to lose. He's the most adaptable, basically. I mean, the other guys 100%, are, yeah. 100%. As far as being able to play and, 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 and can, you know, play at his closest to his highest level in basically yeah. any condition. Whereas if you play, you know, if you play Rafa on a slick grass court, I mean, he's not going to be anywhere near what he is obviously on clay, but even on a, on a medium, the slow hard court. Yeah. To- yeah, totally. Totally. Novak is the, it's the toughest task in tennis is, is to beat him for sure. And that's, that just goes on any surface in, at any time of the year. It really, it's really amazing. Kind of, it's freaky to, see what he's done and to do it week in week out he, he's really set the, the bar high and he's kind of the house he, he changed the game there's no doubt about it as did Rafa as did Roger so let's hope he comes back I mean let's hope he can come back and start you know because I mean it's a it's a it's a huge blow for tennis I mean for, for putting the politics aside and whether you agree with his stance on vaccination or not I mean I don't but that doesn't really matter I'm a fan of yeah. tennis and you know you want to see 
you know, it, it, it's a bummer. It's a total bummer to me oh, that bummer. he's not able to play right now. And, and, and again, a lot of it's his decision. But as you said, yep. you know, he's sticking to his principles. Do you think, um, I guess it sounds like he's going to be able to play in Europe. It sounds like the restrictions are being lifted there. So yep. what do you, and, and the last thing I want to ask before I let you go, what do you hear, what are you seeing uh, at the tournament? I know you've been practicing, you haven't played any matches yet, but you know, with the, with the Russian players who we all know well, and obviously with the war going on, it's, you know, they're in a t- tough situation, but what, what's sort of the vibe around tour about what's happening in the world and then what these guys and, and women are doing out on the tour? Yeah. From the you know from from the men's side, um, it's if you are in the in this business and you know, the Russian guys are some of the best guys on tour. I think. I mean, Medvedev is so nice. Rublev is the kindest guy, the nicest guy there is. Same with Tatchnov and those guys. And Krasov, even they're they're really just great quality guys. And you know, I even saw in the statement the ATP the, the language they use is like, yeah, for the time being, Russian players or something like that. You know, I'm not, I don't know the exact language, but it was like, for the current at the current moment, Russian players will still be allowed to play. It's like I, I don't even like that language. Of course, they should be allowed to play. I mean, right. These are these are really good quality guys. That you cannot. I mean, the fact that that was even a that means they would consider they shouldn't be. I mean, you can't punish them and. And, and discriminate against them for for, for something that Mega lives in, in in Monte Carlo. Andre lives in I think either Dubai in Spain. Or Monaco. Yeah, they go to Spain. Yeah, in, yeah, in Spain. And Karen lives in Dubai. I mean, you can't you cannot even think about punishing them or looking down or looking at them one bit different because of what's going on in the world. They're, those guys are top quality, top quality guys. And um, you know, I yeah. I'd be, it would be a huge disappointment if, if there was any sort of restriction um, put in place for, for any Russian player. I, I think that's discrimination at its finest, actually. And I would be um, I would be more than upset if, if those guys weren't allowed to play because, and, and, and same for the women. I mean, they're a huge part of our sport and, and, and you can't penalize, penalize them or, or even change your perspective on them because of this. They have nothing to do with it. Like I said, um, speaking on Andre, on, on their side, they're the nicest guys. Some of the nicest guys on tour. I would, I would be just, you know, shocked, and, and I'd be super. I'd be ashamed if, if they were, if they were punished for this. Right. Well, let's hope they get a good reception when they take the court, as they will in the next couple of days. I know you will, <clears throat> Riley uh, Opelka, joining me here on Holding Court. And uh, let me tell you something. You should be proud of the fact that you're the number one American. I know I know you want more, uh, and that's a great quality to have because all great players you know, aren't satisfied. And uh, I commend you for speaking out on these issues uh, and doing what you believe is right. And you're a role model. You know, and I, I'm going to say this. Be- you, yeah, I'm going to say this because you showed up at our tennis academy a month or so ago. You didn't even tell me, which I'm still a little pissed off about, but I got over it. <laughs> but when I heard, uh, they said, "Oh yeah, Riley was here doing something," and 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 you took pictures with all the kids. Nobody knew you were coming, and uh, that's what it's all about, man. I mean, and and you get it, and right. so keep doing your thing, keep speaking out. And um, keep doing what bots do, but you're you know you're doing a lot more than just what bots do, and that's what's that's fun to watch. 
Thanks, T Mac. Yeah, I had a good time at your academy. I also, yeah, I couldn't, I, I couldn't believe how big your academy was and how big it's going to be, and especially in New York. I mean, it's pretty remarkable. Only the, only the McEnroe family can pull something off like that. But it was really cool to see how many kids were there. I mean, you don't, you don't see that too often. Young kids, that means there's going to be a couple of those guys that are going to be playing at any wealth in the, in the near future, which is really, really exciting. Yeah, well, we hope so. We hope so. But, you know, you, you keep doing your part because it's important what you do and uh, sending that example and being an example, uh, but what you do on the court, but off the court as well. So I appreciate you joining me. Good luck. I'm planning on seeing you out there because I'm getting out there for the last four days of the tournament. I'm planning to see Mr. Opelka deep in the tournament at the BNP Paribas Open. Awesome. Thanks, T-Mac. All right. Riley Opelka, everyone, on Holding Court. Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe is powered by Mudhouse Media.